Is that me? Yeah, okay. Okay. I want you to find two passages this morning we're going to look at here in a couple of minutes. If you would find Genesis chapter 17, we'll look at a few verses there for some context. And then we'll spend uh, the bulk of our preaching time on in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. Find those two and just hold on to them. That'll be helpful here in a couple of minutes. Let's pray together. God, we rejoice as we sing about the wondrous mystery of you coming to earth in the form of a babe, taking on flesh, dwelling among us in perfect, spotless, sinless form. And Father, sending your Son to give himself up for us, to know all that he knew in eternal glory, to give that up and to come to dwell in a, in a, in a, in a creation that is broken and in need of redemption. So many ways you could have accomplished that, Father, and yet you chose to take on flesh and come and be with us in the form of your Son, and we praise you for this reality, and as we think in this particular season about the birth of Jesus, may we never take for granted, God, the reality of the miracle of that birth and the glorious purpose for which it occurred, and for any who might be here this morning, God, and who have not yet apprehended the reality of the gospel in their own lives repenting and placing their faith in Jesus for salvation I pray that today would be the day you would draw them to yourself through the power of your gospel that they might be yours eternally in Jesus name Amen the vision statement at Oak Park is to love Jesus love people and help people love Jesus That addresses in a contemporary sort of way both the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. We currently have three areas of strategy to help accomplish that mission. I would would quiz you, but without my notes, all of us would fail. We accomplish that vision in three ways. Through worship, what we're doing today, through community, which is what I'm going to focus on in my preaching here in a few minutes, and through discipleship. Over the last several months, we've been retooling that vision a little bit. Many of you are aware of that. Most of you, I hope, have some knowledge that we've been working on this over the last several months pretty intensely. We want to, um, there are basically three goals in mind as I see it with our work with respect to the vision. I want to clarify elder responsibilities, especially as how the elders relate to the remaining, uh, the other parts of leadership in the life of the church. We want to establish a clear process for leadership development, and we have already started that. And we want to add a fourth pillar to our strategy, the pillar of mission. Adding mission, we're already doing missions, if you will, and already seeking to live on mission, but adding mission as a fourth component to our actual strategy will help us focus more intentionally in those two areas so that when people come to Oak Park, and they ask, who is Oak Park? They will see that mission is part of who we are. I hope you make every effort, as Jeremy was sharing during the announcement time and the welcome time, 
I hope you'll make every effort to be here tonight as Pastor Chase is going to share what that recalibrated vision looks like. And he's going to ask you to affirm it. It's a very important time in the life of our church, so I hope you'll, be, you'll come tonight and take part in that. In the run-up to Christmas, what we call Advent season, we've been preaching, we're going to be preaching on the four pillars of the strategy that we're talking about. Pastor Joshua kicked us off last week by preaching on worship, expanding our thinking in that area. And this morning, I'm tasked to deal with the notion of community. I want to define that in a few minutes, but I, I have to just share here a moment of openness. When uh, Pastor Chase was putting together the series, and he said, here's what we want to do, and this is for Advent, so we're going to have to make sure that we tie it in to Advent. We can do that, I hope. You'll be able to tell me that after we're finished. But, but uh, I mentioned that to Debbie, and she said, okay. And I said, I'm not sure what, why we're doing community in the series on Advent, except Pastor Chase said that I need to do a, a sermon on community, and I do what Pastor Chase tells me to do. Not good, probably, to get after the man that holds the mic most of the time, but that's okay. Community in the form of community groups has been one leg of the Oak Park strategy for quite some time. I think three or four years at least in meeting in small groups or community groups, maybe even longer than that. What's still somewhat new to us, what's still somewhat new to us in our strategy is that community groups have now become the primary means for making relationships at Oak Park. Beginning in September of 2016, there was a shift in the Sunday school hour. It changed from, uh, from teaching of Sunday school lessons and making friends in those sorts of environments, more traditional model that many of us grew up with and are familiar with, and we still have a portion of here at Oak Park. It moved from that to an hour that focuses on discipleship content. And in doing that, then, we begin to utilize the community groups to spend more time in what you might call focusing on the relationship component of our body. If you're not a part of a community group, I really would invite you uh, to become part of one. You can talk with me after the service or at any particular time. You can talk with Jeremy Summers. He's the guy that plays lead guitar most of the time and, and gave the announcements this morning. You can also get information at the Welcome Center about that and uh, check that out. I, I think it would be helpful for you. Uh, one consideration, uh, one question, excuse me, for our consideration this morning really is, I was teasing about it, but what, what do community groups or community in general have to do with Advent season? Why is there a sermon on community in a series on Advent? Here's sort of where we're going this morning for the, for the fact of our thinking. Advent season helps remind us that God saved us into a community. Christ is our king. The Bible gives us pictures of Christ-honoring, healthy community from the Old Testament through the book of Revelation. I use the word community here to start with to identify all believers who are part of God's covenant promise to make Abraham into a great nation. We're going to read that promise in just a moment. Broadly speaking, everyone who places their faith in Christ is adopted into a universal community of saints. Now, if you bring the slide up, here's how we define community at Oak Park. It is devoting ourselves to the practice of God's word in fellowship with one another. Look at that again. Community at Oak Park 
taking from Acts 2, verse 42, is devoting ourselves to the practice of God's word in fellowship with one another. Our primary structure or methodology for doing that is through what we call community groups. I'll be saying more about those as we get towards the end of the sermon. In the New Testament, you won't see the actual word community very much. It's more of a contemporary word, if you would. Instead, you're going to see the word church. Community is a more contemporary expression for that. And much of what is what we might, in the Old Testament, would refer to as a congregation. In the New Testament, it refers to more, um, more consistently as church. I would argue, though, that both of those words, congregation and church and community, all three of those are synonyms for what we would identify as regenerate membership in a local church. Here's where we're headed this morning. First, we want to establish a biblical context. I want to do that for us by briefly showing us how community does tie in with the first coming of Jesus. It should remind us for a purpose, more than just because Chase said so, it should remind us that as we think about Christmas, we think about the coming of Christ in the manger and all the sweet and, and significant stuff that takes place there, we also need to remember that, that Advent should remind us that we are a community of saints. We are a fellowship of believers who gather together in covenant with one another to worship and celebrate this king who has come. We want to take a look, secondly, at Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, what a healthy community looks like, and we're going to spend the bulk of our time there, and then I want to spend a few minutes sort of in the form of application, overviewing the strategy for community at Oak Park, especially as it manifests itself in community groups. I want us to see how those community groups reflect or imitate the model that we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The community of believers has always been in the plans and purposes of God to redeem a people for himself, to call them out of the masses, sorry, to call them out of the masses and to call them in to community. You strained here a little bit. I guess that's all right. When God, when God sent Jesus to earth, he had a healthy church community in mind, one where Christ is the king. That would be our first point. Jesus' advent had a healthy church community in mind. Now, stay with me on this. If you mark Genesis 17 in your Bible, turn there with me now. If you do not have a scripture, there should be one in a, in a pouch in the chair in front of you, or you're welcome to look on with your neighbor. Genesis 17 helps us find community in the Old Testament. Just going to read a couple of verses to set a context. You know what's going on as we get to this point. God had called Abram. He had promised him certain things. And then we get to the point in chapter 17 where he's going to change his name. And the meaning of his name is, is significant for us. I'm going to just read verses 4 through 7. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Key phrase, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So I would submit that we see the notion of community of believers in God's original plans of redemption. That's just an illustrative passage, if you will. And the word that the New Testament authors 
used for uh, separated ones or called out community is seen several times in the Old Testament. What's more familiar to us is how we see that word and see it described and illustrated and explained in the New Testament. In Matthew 16 and 18, Jesus, the only two times that he does in the Gospels, uses the word that is translated into the English as church. The original meaning of that word is called out ones. And as you read John 17 through Advent-colored lenses, you would detect that God had community in mind from the start. Looking at this, I found no less than six references to Jesus being sent by God to save a people for his own glory. Just for example, in verse 3 of John 17, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And then I find four mentions, especially toward the latter part of the chapter, four mentions of the importance of oneness or or unity among the community of believers. In particular, verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Implication there. One goal of Jesus' coming was to create a common unity of believers manifest itself in the local church. Then beginning in Acts, going throughout the New Testament, we see the word for church most frequently referring to a local collection or a local gathering of believers. I think about it, I don't think I would say, I think it would be correct to say that the first priority of Advent was to build a church. But building a church was certainly the outcome of Jesus' coming. He said so himself. See this unfold in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. We're going to read how God's people began to assemble in local communities. So let's read that now. We'll spend, again, the majority of our time in this section. You can look at your Bible, or I think we have those words to project for you on the screen. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Studying through about this, commentators differ on how to outline. There are a couple of different ways we could outline that passage. I tend to lean toward those who see verse 42 as the main thrust verse and then use verse 43 through 47 to unpack that for a little bit. And that's what we'll do this morning. Using that approach, approach, I want to identify several marks, if you will, or several characteristics of a healthy church community. Identifying marks of a healthy church community. I want to just get in the weeds for just a second because it helps us think. The context of each item in uh, verse 42 includes a definite article, the word the. Now, the NIV doesn't show this, but the ESV, I think, is a better translation here. It does show this. It says the teaching, the fellowship, 
the breaking of bread and the prayers. It tells us that we should see each of those items independently and we should see each of them collectively. Each of those items mark and all of those items identify or mark for us what is a healthy church. The definite article also helps us understand that commitment or devotion is given to all four areas. Now, that's as technical as I'm going to get. The first mark I want to share with you is a hunger for God's word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching. A couple of things I would call to your attention. From the start, the church saw the importance of learning and instruction. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' purpose was to do what? Was to carry out the commission that Jesus gave them in Matthew chapter 28. To teach all the new believers to observe or obey all that Jesus had commanded. So they saw in the early church and were taught by the apostles to learn what Jesus said and to begin to observe that and obey it and understand what it meant. The implication for us is a healthy church community will be committed to what's going on right now. They will be committed to apostolic truth or what we call teaching of the Bible. Second mark. The second mark is a desire for sharing life with others. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. I want to stay here for a while. They devoted themselves to fellowship because this is look at this in the context of our community groups this is really the, the heart of what we're talking about when we think about this passage the notion of fellowship fellowship is a great word fellowship is a great word and true believers love fellowship I can't remember as, as my pastors how many times pastor let's just fellowship together let's just get together and, and fellowship well, that term can be misunderstood it can be wrongly applied you've heard it said if you haven't hear it now Fellowship is more than Kool-Aid and cake. It's more than that. It's more than gathering together for a meal, although it has been said in such ways many, many times. Let me share three observations from the text and how it expands out for us throughout the New Testament. First observation is this. Fellowship involves a willingness to share your Christian life with others. I think this is probably the most comprehensive meaning of the term fellowship. A willingness to share your life with others. That's what fellowship is. A review of the New Testament would show that sort of fellowship to have some defining characteristics. For example, in Galatians 2, verse 9, Paul and Barnabas are called in, and, and, they're, and they're getting their res the responsibility for their missionary work, and, and they are extended the right hand of fellowship so that they can go out, recognizing their ministry to the Gentiles, while Peter's ministry was to the Jewish folks in general. Fellowship there means accepting other servants as equals in Christ. In Philippians 1, word for fellowship, uh, it says partnership in the gospel. So fellowship de uh, defines for us a common effort and a shared purpose or a mission. Our fellowship in the church is not just for the sake of getting together. We have things in common. We have shared beliefs and shared doctrines that we practice together. We have a partnership in the gospel. And then John shares for us in 1 John. John writes these things to us, verse 3, that we may have fellowship, that you may have fellowship with us, John writes. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This notion of fellowship describes an extension of our relationship, grounded in love for Christ. When we fellowship together as believers, we are knowing to each other that our, our fellowship is grounded in love for Christ and faith in the gospel. fellowship 
certainly includes having social activities with friends. That is part of what it means to have fellowship. But it's much more than that. Fellowship is a sharing of life that is shaped by faith in Jesus and distinguished by a love for God. At Oak Park, we define shared, excuse me, we define fellowship as the shared effort of loving Jesus, loving people, and helping people love Jesus. How would you define fellowship at Oak Park? We gather around that vision statement for our strategy and our fellowship. John Stott calls fellowship the common life of the church. That's helpful for us. Fellowship is, is the normal and expected activity in a local, healthy church community. When, when people hang around in the back after the worship service, interminably sometimes, it's because they want to be around each other. And when you're the pastor of a small church and you're sort of the last one out of the building, uh, or we had, a, we had an event at SEBA last Monday night, and, and Caleb got tasked with being the last one out of the building. But, it, but, but they don't want to go home. They want to talk. They want to see each other, talk with each other, and hang out with each other. That's fellowship in a sweet and good and appropriate way. It includes coming together with friends. But fellowship is sharing a life that is shaped by faith in Christ. And Stott calls it a common life in the church. And as we look down at verse 44 and 45, two things come to my mind that help us see how fellowship is connected to community. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I see two things here that, that connects fellowship to community. The first one is this. Fellowship includes a willingness to pool our resources. Believers were together, and they had all things in common. Now, there's a context here. Jewish believers coming out of Judaism would experience isolation and rejection. The, the, the social and cultural security net that they had would be removed from them in large ways. Whatever support system that they had before they converted would often be taken completely away from them. This reality is described in several of the New Testament letters as you read through the New Testament. In fact, seeking material help for the church in Jerusalem was a large part of Paul's ministry. In America, we, we don't see religious isolation or, or rejection in, in such a large scale, but faith in Christ can and does bring detachment from family and friends. I could, I could testify to you to at least two Roman Catholic friends who uh, were really, really hesitant to come out of the Roman Catholic faith because it had been their family's faith for generations. And if they were to do that, they would think they would be disrespecting their family in some sense. And so we see this notion of it. And of course, if, if, if Muslims in America convert from Islam to Christianity, they're going to be rejected and isolated in the Muslim community. So it is real for us to see that. And so we need to think about being together and holding all things in common in that context. But the second thought brings us to verse 45. It includes a willingness to pool our resources, but it also includes a disposition to use those resources to be generous toward the needs of others. They were selling their possessions. They were selling their belongings and distributing proceeds to any who had need. Somebody asked me just this week, are you, we, you going to preach about communism? No, I'm not going to preach about communism. We, we can, though, as American believers, wrestle with the, nation, with the notion of common possessions. We can battle that in our spirit for several reasons. 
One, we want to avoid any drift towards socialistic or communistic activities. We don't want to be the church or America in general to be seen in that sort of way. So we're going to resist this notion of, of common possession. We would argue, rightfully so, that the Bible is not opposed to personal ownership. No, it's not. We know in the scriptures of examples of several healthy saints, uh, excuse me, wealthy saints. Abraham was supposed to be a man of, was of great means. Job had great means. David and Solomon were both wealthy, wealthy men. And you get into the New Testament, Joseph of Arimathea was probably a man of some means. And so we know the Bible doesn't teach us against uh, owning stuff. We would also note the biblical teaching that the church should not enable those who are able to work but refuse to do so. We should not be in the business as a church of handing out charity to perfectly healthy and competent and capable people who just don't want to work. We would argue against common possessions on all of those grounds. And then perhaps the most personal ground might be the American virtues of independence and self-reliance. Those can be distorted. Those can be distorted even to the point of hoarding or attitudes of materialism in our homes. I earned mine. Let him go earn his. I worked hard to get to this point in my life. I invested wisely. She didn't. I'm not pooling my resources for that. So we would, we would battle this notion. And in my thinking about the scripture with respect to, to, to distributing proceeds to those who had need, I believe the Bible teaches that the immediate family is the first line of assistance. I believe that. I believe I can show you that in the scripture in several places. But the church is also a family, brothers and sisters. The church is also a family to those of us who follow Christ. So wherever possible and wise and prudent, the church should extend assistance to its members. And I'm grateful at Oak Park that we've got a skilled and trained brother named Corey Bledsoe who handles that for us because he knows how to do it in appropriate and biblical ways that are helpful for the person in need but not harmful to their development spiritually or their development as a member of the church. The end of verse 46 shows us this act of fellowship was not compulsory. And it says that they did this with glad and generous hearts. That should remind us, those, that terminology at the end of that verse should remind us that Christians are called to be compassionate and merciful. I could tell you times when I have given cash money to people stopping by the church and needing money to get, have gas to get home or whatever, and there have been times when I've given them money knowing it's probably not going to go anywhere near the gas tank. They drive away, and I rationalize it. I say the Lord says to remember mercy, and so I try to do that. I try to, I try to lean toward the side of mercy, not in silliness, to their story, trying to assess whether or not the, the need is legitimate and real, I would suggest that to you as well. Because we're not to look on people with eyes of flesh anymore. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we're to look on them with eyes of the Spirit. So the first two marks are a hunger for God's Word and a desire to share life together. I find two more marks in the next statement. So we're going to be up to four. We're going to finish covering verse 42 here. This next statement that I would say, uh, faithfulness in church activities. The fourth mark of a healthy church community is faithfulness in church activities. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We could have labeled this different ways. You might outline it a different way if you were doing this. We could have called it a faithfulness to worship or faithfulness to religious practices. We could have called it those things. But I chose church activities because I want us to take a little loftier, perhaps a wider 
perspective of the terms. And when we add verse 46 to the mix, I think the passage has two gatherings in mind here. First is a gathering, uh, uh, excuse me, a reference to a corporate or collective gathering. For us, it's what we're doing right now, Sunday morning church. I think that first is in mind in verse 42. With that context of mind, in mind, then, the breaking of bread would be describing taking the Lord's Supper in a worship setting, as we do on a monthly basis, I believe. In the same sort of context, and the reference to the prayers in verse 42, I think that involves a formal or, or liturgical approach to praying in these sorts of gatherings, as you've seen uh, done here already this morning. A summary of that, a healthy New Testament church is going to be marked by commitment and involvement in corporate activities of the church. Bulk of our membership is here indicates a sign of health. The bulk of our membership is absent that indicates a sign of not being healthy. And then we get to verse 46. It's, it's, we seem to have a different coming together in view. I would call gathering together outside of corporate worship. Read verse 46 in the first part of 47 with me. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, that's what I want to draw reference to, Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Those two verses help us see that healthy church community does not end when we go out the doors after church is over. I've been in paid ministry for over two decades. All that means is I'm old. Okay? But I've been in paid ministry for a good long period of time. And I... I I know what it's right. I know what it's, I know what it's like to be around others constantly. Until I got here, I pastored or served as an associate in churches that met three times a week, every week. And even in my first pastorate, when I would talk about perhaps not meeting on a Sunday night for some particular reason, we had a good faithful deacon who was a dear brother and an accountability partner for me to go witnessing and sharing our faith. But he would tell me, Pastor, we've advertised that the doors are going to be open. Let somebody come. Okay, then we'll, we'll meet point of all of that is we met regularly together in the church. This is the first time I've been at a place where that was not necessarily an expectation. So I know what it's like to, to, for the need to be around people in these settings, to love them and to be loved. But I want to share with you, I'm not normally wired that way. My normal wiring, I'm an introvert. When I go home after this is over with, I'm gassed. I'm completely done. I've learned by the grace of God, and he equipped me to do that, and I hope in a positive way. I hope that when you see me, you'll say, dude, you're already done. You need just to go home. And I hope that's sincere. I really do. I, I, I think and by the grace of God and the spirit working in me, and to step outside of myself in that way, so people wear me out. I'm mostly comfortable with just my family around me. I say that to help you understand the value of being around others often, sharing hospitality sharing life as believers, our need for one another. And the busyness of life is not our ally here. It complicates our desire to get together. All the more reason why community groups are helpful for us. There are only so many hours in the day, only so many days in the week, only so many chances to be around other brothers and sisters in Christ in a setting where we have a fellowship of a shared gospel and a shared belief. Only so many opportunities to do that. Spending time together, brothers and sisters, is God's plan for the church to help us endure in our faithfulness till the end. Through all of our trials, 
and through all of our celebrations. It is God's plan for us to do that together. I'll say some more about that in a couple of moments because this is the foundational strategy of community group ministry at Oak Park. But before I move on, I want us to look in verse 47 and see two outcomes of faithfulness. Two outcomes of faithfulness. He's still under the mark of um, uh, a faithful church, if you will. But two outcomes identified for us, beginning of verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people. I would note two things here. These phrases coming on the end of verse 46 help us see that, I mean, right at the very end of verse 46, in sentence, the same sentence in your English Bible, we see it helps us see or helps me see that praising God should be a natural byproduct of having a glad and a generous heart. So when you put money in the baskets for Lottie Moon this morning and when you put money in the regular church offering, I praise you did that with a glad and generous heart. Having favor with all the people. Why is that in there? Why is that statement in there? He's not saying having favor with each other. He's saying, having favor with all the people. Why is that in there? It's a curious statement in the middle of a passage that's defining a healthy local church community. Curious statement, at least it was to me. Why is that there? We, we do not seek favor in our community for favor's sake. But we do seek favorable relationships with our community. When they see how Nick and his crew take care of our property. When they see how we engage them with benevolence and kindness in different ways, when they hear of how we provide programs that are safe and moral for their children, when they see 50 or 60 high school boys and coaches come to eat at Oak Park, that invites their favor. When they know of our readiness to be a good neighbor and to help our neighbors, that is pleasing to them. They may not darken the door, but they notice, and it's pleasing to them. And if Oak Park were to disappear tomorrow, they would miss Oak Park, we would be. Let's pray that that is true. Whether they're believers in Christ or not, let's pray that that is true. Because you see, that kind of having favor with all the people can, openly, can, can, can ultimately open doors of opportunity for turning favor with the church into faith in Christ. They value what we do, even as just citizens of the same few blocks. If they value what we do, it gives us an opportunity to speak into their hearts about the gospel. We look down to the second half of verse 47. I want to note one more mark. So far, we've seen the mark of a hunger for God's word. Uh, we've seen the mark of a desire for sharing life together. We've seen the mark of faithfulness in church activities. And now I want to show us one more. It's distinctive to a healthy church community. The back half of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is reflected here as a result or an outcome. But we know that people aren't saved unless somebody's telling them about Jesus. This is an implied mark of a healthy church, but I'm comfortable including it as a mark of a healthy church. The fourth mark would be obedience to the Great Commission faithfulness to share about Jesus with those around us. In fact, if we skip over this mark, we miss the clear missional context of the entire book of Acts. We come out of the back end of Pentecost 
up in, up in a few verses before where we started, and it talks about 3,000 being added to their numbers in one day. And this verse tells us that the church began to meet in these different communities, both in the church service, if you will, and in their homes. The favor of the Lord rested upon them, and he continued to add to their number day after day. Any preaching about community using this book must also be a preaching about missions and evangelism. There is no true community of God that closes himself in and seeks to keep others out. So as we briefly look at this last sentence, look at it as members of the community of our king. We are a community so that we can reveal the favor of God. And the Lord added to their number. The sentence is not here by accident. It is meant to show us very clearly that God blesses a faithful church. He's never our debtor. Never hear me preach that. If you do hear me preach that, you accost me right after the service and said, you made God our debtor today, and I will repent or we'll argue one or the other that I didn't say that. But don't let me get away with trying to say that. We can never make God our debtor. I do not intend that for a moment. But throughout the Bible, we see how God delights in giving favor to faithful saints. So we are here to reveal the favor of God. We are here as a community so that we can reveal the ministry of Jesus. Day by day, we seek to live out the plan and the purpose of his coming. God wants to save sinners, and he has ordained the church to be his human agent for doing so. So we are here as a community to reveal that ministry to a watching world. We are here as a community so that we can reveal the power of the gospel. Those who were being saved. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. What greater favor could God bestow on us, brothers and sisters? What greater favor could he give to us? What, what more significant blessing could he give to us than to use our feeble efforts to bring sinners to faith in Christ? He could pay us no higher compliment. So obedience to the Great Commission, I would suggest to you, is a mark of a healthy church community. It is a great ambition for us that God would add to our number those who are being saved not for pride or for boasting but to encourage us by affirming our faithfulness to the king of our community maybe you're here today and you're not part of the community of Oak Park I would invite you to consider becoming part of this community I would submit to you and love to talk with you about how it is a healthy church community we have crazy aunts and uncles, and Debbie and my case, crazy grandparents. But we're a family who loves one another and is, and is bound by a shared belief and confidence in the gospel, who wants to serve the Lord faithfully so that he might add to our number those who are being saved. More importantly, if you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Christ, and this language about community is confusing to you. And you came this morning because you heard it was Advent season, and you thought they were going to be preaching about the manger or about uh, sheep or, or donkeys or something that was going on in that setting. And, and you say, what am I here hearing about the local church for during Advent? I pray that as you hear from Acts chapter 2, you would see at Oak Park Baptist Church similar sorts of patterns and behaviors that, would, that God would use to draw you to know that he is worthy of such devotion. He is worthy of devotion to apostolic teaching. He is worthy of devotion to fellowship, shared life with one another. 
He is worthy of devotion to the breaking of bread, to seeing the gospel lived out in our ordinances. He is worthy to the devotion of prayer. And that by seeing that, you would talk to someone, even before you leave today. How can I find out more about this? How can I become a member of this church? Are you a follower of Christ? Have you been saved? We would have those conversations with you. Any of the elders could do that. Pastor Chase could do that. I would love to do that. You've seen there's a whole lot of people around here. The person sitting next to you probably can help you to that. I would invite you not to leave today. If that is your situation without asking. What does church have to do with Advent? Ask me that. I'd love to tell you. I spent a bunch of hours getting ready for this. Before we close, I want to spend a few more minutes seeing how this passage works itself out right here. I think the same marks and characteristics that I've been showing you from Acts chapter 2 will be evident on some level in healthy community groups. And for the third point, I would say this. Healthy community groups reflect a healthy church community. As I say this, I want to remind you that Debbie and I over the summer had the blessing of visiting all the different community groups. And we're going to start a new road tour here in 2018 and do our best to try to get back to all of them at least once a year if they will have us. <coughs> the hint, brother. I did just give you a gift card this morning. You weren't supposed to know that, church. <clears throat> I'm not arguing uh, that our format, listen, I'm going to be appropriately humble about this. I'm not arguing that the format that Oak Park uses is, is the best or even the most useful format. I'm not arguing that. I am arguing it's a good model. I'm arguing it's a good model, especially as it fosters and maintains health in the church body at large. I'm, I'm arguing that it's a good model as it promotes faithfulness to Christ. Where it breaks down, then the model breaks down. Oak Park community groups are a good model when they mimic the early church gathering meetings that I've been having reference to earlier this morning. So let me show four commonalities here. Our community groups, healthy community groups will provide an environment for good and interactive discussion about God's Word. Lots of folks engaged in talking about usually what was preached that morning. That facilitates a hunger for God's Word. That stimulates our appetite for the Bible. Now, sometimes, as Chase has been preaching through Romans chapter 7, that sometimes tastes like broccoli. But he's going to get to Romans 8 here in a few weeks, and then it's going to taste a lot more like chocolate, all right? So stick through the broccoli. It's good for you, and you won't appreciate the chocolate unless you get used to digesting the broccoli. And I don't want to suggest to you this morning, community group leaders, community groups, folks who are considering community groups, I don't want to suggest to you that spiritual discussion should be the dominant component in every group. It's been my observation that every group enjoys this task. They relish talking back through spiritual things that were preached on the previous Sunday morning. Second connecting point for community groups here, healthy community groups promote the sharing of life with fellow saints. We don't ever want to sacrifice the building of relationships on the altar of teaching sound doctrine. I could reverse that. We never want to compromise teaching sound doctrine for the sake of building relationships. But both healthy Christian relationships and sound doctrine are in view in the Acts chapter 2 passage. Both of them are there. The point is that we don't have to. We don't have to give up one for the other. We can have both. What I would want us to see is that in the context and the strategy 
of community groups here at Oak Park, building relationships is probably the top priority. When we gather in our community groups, if we had to make one higher, it would probably be the relationship component of it. That's why we, that's like a large reason why we have community groups. Otherwise, we'd still be doing Sunday school. Remember, our community is defined by devoting ourselves to the practice of God's word in fellowship with one another. This is the strength of the community group approach. It takes 275 or so who are in the building on any given Sunday and shrinking it down to a number that is realistic for sharing life together. Smaller groups or community groups is our strategy for keeping the church small enough to touch and minister to every member. None of us are able to share the sort of life that's pictured in the passage that I've been sharing this morning. None of us are able to share that sort of life with 100 family units. Just can't do it. Humanly impossible. But we can share that sort of life with six or eight or ten other family units in our community group. Smaller groups like that provide an environment for study, and they promote sharing life with fellow saints. Third, healthy community, excuse me, healthy community groups will stimulate faithfulness to encourage each other. Stimulate faithfulness in church practices and church activities. Why? Not for the sake of doing them, so that we will endure in our faith. God has given these to us as, as stepping stones so that we might make it to the end with each other. We can see this picture. If you were to go to Galatians chapter 6 and look at the first 10 verses, you would be able to see this picture. In that passage, we're called to watch over each other in our joint effort against sin. We're called to bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfilling the law of Christ. We're called to persevere with one another. We're called to do good to others, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. And all of that plays itself out in, in, in appropriate relational components in a community group. We're talking here about accountability, one for another. It's not meant to be used as law. It is a sweet grace from God that we can look out for one another and help one another in matters of basic faithfulness. Those who endure to the end who will be saved, Jesus said. One more way that healthy community groups connect is what we've been talking about this morning. They open up doors for obeying the Great Commission. I was pleased, both as a community group leader and just as an elder involved with community groups, I was pleased on, on, a, on a day that did not invite great participation, I was pleased with the participation and involvement of our community groups during our recent fall festival. I did know more hands being raised to watch out for the bouncy castles inside the gym, but nevertheless, we had good community involvement, community group involvement that day. Those of the rest of us that were outdoors, we just did it. I've also heard a few stories about specific outreach efforts to neighbors. But I can only assume that when you pray in your community groups, on a regular basis, you're praying for a lost coworker or a lost family member or somebody of that nature. Pray that that is so. This scratches the surface for us with respect to the Great Commission. I'm hopeful we'll find more ways and more consistent ways to be obedient, to be looking into those things. Just as teaching is not necessarily job one for community groups, Evangelism and missions are not job one for community groups, but community groups provide excellent battalions, excellent, excellent flights, excellent groups or teams for outreach plans 
So I want to encourage our community groups to look across the street, even as you are praying for some family in Afghanistan. We engage in evangelism and missions as a church. We see community groups as a means to doing that very strategically. At Oak Park, we seek to live out the goal of Advent by being faithful members of a healthy church community. Using this passage this morning as a guide, I've noted a number of ways I hope and trust that our community groups can, can imitate and facilitate that healthy church community. Let me be clear does not mean that you must be in a community group to be a faithful church member at Oak Park. I think if you are not in a community group, there are components of life at Oak Park that you are missing. Leadership of the church does believe that it is healthy community groups that help us remain and be stronger as a healthy church community. As we think about the church during this Advent season, let's let Jesus coming remind us God saved us into a community that honors his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're thankful that it shows us from the very first days what it meant to be a healthy church, a thriving church, a church that is faithful to the gospel to your word. We can look at these models and examples and we can look at the teaching in throughout the New Testament that helps us address problem areas. All of this, Father, is a sweet and precious gift from you to sharpen us and shape us and continue to help us grow as we want to honor our King. As we think this morning, Father, about the notion of community, more specifically about the notion of community groups, how we manifest community, most particularly here at Oak Park. I pray that our hearts would be stirred to understand the value and the richness of these groups and understand their higher goal. The groups are a means for us to place people in settings and in environments that will help them endure in their faith and bring honor to their King. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's